0: Ms. Adam, so glad that you are here, and happy Father's Day. And for all of you dads here in the room, I just got to say, I have so much respect that you are showing up at church on a Sunday morning. Like, there's so many other things that you could be doing. You could be out fishing, golfing, going to a car show. But I thank you so much for showing up this morning, and we are so glad that you are here. I also want to just recognize right now, whoever is the most recent father... As in having um, a baby within the, the nearest amount of time to today. That was a confusing way to say it. <laughs> I'm sorry. Because so at last service, we gave out a hat to whoever had been a dad the longest. So now we're saying, all right, who's the most recent dad? Uh, if you have had a child within the last two years, raise your hand. All right, we got a few. All right, uh, one year. Keep your hand up if you're still in it. Six months. Uh, all right, eight months. We're, we're going back a little bit. Nine months, 10 months. We, all right, all right. Um, man, this is tough. We're gonna have to arm wrestle on stage for this hat. All right, what's the birthday? August 10th? Yeah. All right. Dan, how about you? August Yeah, August 31st. All right. There you go, Dan. Yep. Cool. Well, hey, let's get into it. This morning we are getting into uh, the last message in our series called Mirror Images. Over the last few weeks, we've been really tracking through the first few pages of God's Word in order to gain a biblical perspective on His design for life. And so we've been covering some pretty controversial topics. I mean, we've been talking about things like the sanctity of life, gender, sexuality. And this morning, we're going to be talking about marriage. And my hope in this series is that we would know the truth, we would know God's design for life, But my hope in this series as well is that we would know how to engage our culture with truth and grace. Like just this last week, I was having a conversation with somebody about what the Bible has to say about transgenderism. And in the middle of that conversation, my friend told me, he just made this comment that he used to struggle with gender dysphoria. And I didn't know that going into the conversation And it was just a big reminder to me that we're not just talking about topics. We're not just talking about issues. We're not just talking about agendas. We're talking about people. It's people who have had an abortion. It's people who struggle with their sexuality. It's people who wrestle with God's design for marriage. And so we don't want to take the truth of God's word and just weaponize it. But we want to take the truth of God's word and know how to engage people with truth and grace. Because the message of Jesus is come as you are, but don't stay that way. And so uh, I know that we haven't been able to answer like every single question that you might have on these topics. I know that we haven't really talked about all the ins and outs on how to engage people with truth and grace. And so we want to make some room for more conversation. Even though this is the last message in this series, the conversation doesn't have to stop here. And so Kurt and I are putting together a question and answer time for June 25th. So next Sunday, here at the church at 1.30. And I'll admit, I don't have all of the answers. But I think it is good for us as a church to just have these open and honest conversations and just know how to uh, just be a light for Jesus in the community and the culture that we live in. And this morning, we are going to get into a conversation about God's design for marriage and singleness. Now, I'm not an expert on math or statistics. Maybe that's why I ended up in ministry and not doing something else. But if I had to take a guess, I think 100% of us here in this room are either married or single. I mean, <laughs> if, if you're dating or engaged, maybe you would put yourself in a different category, but hey, on your taxes, you're probably single. So all that to say that I think that what we're going to talk about in marriage and singleness is going to be relevant to 100% of us here in this room. And so... God has us in this season of life, whether it is marriage or singleness, for a point, for a reason. In 1 Corinthians, Paul says, I say this as a concession, not as a command. I wish that all of you were as I am, but each of you has your own gift from God. One has this gift, another has that. Now to the unmarried and the widows, I say it is good for them to stay unmarried as I do. And so I read that verse just to pull out of there what Paul is saying, that singleness and marriage are both good gifts from God. Now, maybe you hear that and you're like, I don't know if it's really a good gift. And maybe you've wrestled with the stage of life that you're in right now. Maybe you're a single person who compares the downsides of singleness to the upsides of marriage. Maybe you're somebody who's married and you compare the downsides of marriage to the highlights of living the single life. And I don't think that either of these comparisons are good because God has us in this season of life for a reason. And sometimes we misuse this gift that God has given us or we don't appreciate it. And some of the ways that we can misuse the the season of life that God has us in is when we have married people living as though they are single. And when we have single people living as though they are married. And I'm not saying that if you are single, then you have to stay single for the rest of your life because that's God's plan. But I do want to say like, let's Let's try to make the most of the season of life that God has us in right now. And so the question that I wanna tackle is what's the point? What is the point of marriage? What's the point of singleness? And maybe you've thought about this question if you're married, maybe you thought about it before you got married, like what am I getting myself into? And to be honest, maybe you've thought about this question while you've been married. You're like... Maybe things are a little bit tough, you're like, why am I even doing this? Why am I married? Is it even worth it to stay married? Or if you're a single person, maybe you're led to believe that the point of singleness is to just try really hard to not be single anymore. Maybe other people feed that idea by making you feel like you're not even a full person until you get married maybe you think that the point of singleness is just to enjoy the freedoms that come with the single lifestyle. And we're having this conversation this morning because because marriage and singleness are gifts from God. And if we don't understand what the point is, then we're likely to misuse this gift that God has given us or not appreciate it. And so first we're going to talk about marriage and then we're going to get into a conversation about singleness. So we're going to go to Genesis chapter 2 and verse 18 to talk about the first marriage ever. And so we've been in the book of Genesis for the last few weeks talking about God's creation of the first humans, Adam and Eve. And in verse 18, uh, as we read this, you're probably going to think, hey, wait a minute, This sounds a little bit familiar. If you were here last week, this is a verse that we talked about. So some of what we're going to say here is going to be a recap, but we'll also get into some other implications from this verse that we didn't get into last week. So in Genesis chapter 2, verse 18, it says, The Lord God said, It is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. So, God didn't create Adam and Eve at the same time. He created the man first. And so there was a while when Adam was pretty lonely. And when he was single and ready to mingle, God gave Adam this instruction to name all of the animals. And I don't mean like Adam would have walked up to a monkey and been like, hey, little guy, I'm going to call you Steve. Like he's like, oh, this is a monkey. This is a, a dog, this is a cat, and so he named all the animals, and as he was doing that, Adam would have realized, hey, wait a minute, every kind of animal has a partner. There's male and female, and you might have been thinking, I don't have a partner. It could also be that Adam was looking for a partner for himself from among the animals, but even if he was, he didn't really have some good options He was been like, nope, not that one. Not that, nope again, definitely nope. And so there was no suitable helper for Adam. And so this is when God steps in and he says, all right, I'm gonna make a helper suitable for him. And so he causes Adam to go into a deep sleep. And while Adam is sleeping, God removes a rib from Adam and he uses that rib to form the woman. Now, just an interesting side note here, Everything that God created, he just spoke into existence, except for humanity. God created humanity in a more intimate way. He formed Adam out of the dust of the earth and breathed life into him. He formed the woman out of the rib of the man. And so God creates the woman, and she's a a suitable helper for the man. Last week, we talked about what it meant for her to be suitable for Adam Basically, she was like Adam in that she was human, and she was opposite Adam in that she was female. And this morning we're going to dig a little bit deeper into what it means for the woman to be a helper for the man. Now, if you're a woman and you hear that, you might be thinking, "Ah, oh, is this verse really saying that women are second class? Like just a helper? They're they're at the bottom of the totem pole, just a helper." I I don't think that's what this verse is getting at, and I don't think we should miss the fact Adam needed help. He didn't have all the strengths that he needed to do the task that God has set before him, and so actually this word for helper is often used in the Old Testament to describe God. God would help the nation of Israel when they needed him. The nation of Israel needed God because they had some weaknesses, and so The fact that the woman is a helper to the man doesn't mean that she's at the bottom of the totem pole. It means, like, together, they made a much better team than just one of them by themselves. And so for a little while in history, they had the best marriage ever. Like, their satisfaction in marriage would have looked like this. Woman comes into his life, boom, honeymoon phase. All the time. (laughs) So... Wouldn't it be awesome if marriage just stayed that way, right? Be sweet. Unfortunately, it didn't stay that way, and they kind of had to ruin it for the rest of us because God gave Adam and Eve a command not to eat from a certain tree. And then Satan, the enemy of God, comes to earth in the form of a serpent, and he tempts Adam and Eve to disobey God. And when they disobey God, they bring sin into the world and also some very specific consequences for sin. There were specific consequences for the serpent. There were specific consequences for the woman, and specific consequences for the man. And we're just going to look at the consequence of sin for the woman in Genesis chapter 3. God said to the woman, "'I will make your pains in childbearing very severe.'" With painful labor, you will give birth to children. Your desire will be for your husband, and he will rule over you. Now, that last sentence there is a little bit confusing. All right, what does it mean that her desire will be for her husband, and he will rule over her? Is that even a bad thing to have a desire for her husband? Well, let's take a look at this in a different translation because I think it kind of clears this up. This is the New Living Translation and it says, And you will desire to control your husband, but he will rule over you. Basically what God is saying, because of sin entering this world, there is going to be a power struggle within marriage. There's going to be this fight for control to make decisions or do things a certain way. And so from this time on in history, I think satisfaction in marriage has looked a little bit more like this. Things start, usually start off like in the honeymoon phase, and even if you have the best marriage ever, it's inevitable that you're going to have highs and lows, and maybe it doesn't look exactly like this, but this kind of represents the honeymoon phase that lasts from six months to two years. And that's when you look at your spouse through, like, a rose-colored lens. Like, they can do no wrong. They're so perfect. And after a while, when that honeymoon phase wears off, you realize you're a sinner married to another sinner. And all that junk that's been swept under the carpet kind of starts to come spilling out. Well, let's face it. We all bring problems into a marriage relationship. None of us have a free pass on that. But maybe in the course of your marriage, present or past, you've had this moment of thinking, I don't know if I really want to keep this up. Like, their problems are so much worse than mine. I mean, maybe I could do better. Maybe the grass is greener on the other side. And... There's a quote from a pastor named Tim Keller who wrote a book called Meaning of Marriage, and he has this quote that kind of speaks to this idea of wishing that you were married to somebody a little bit better. He says, the great thing about the model of Christian marriage is that when you envision the someone better, you can think of the future version of the person to whom you were already married. The someone better is the spouse you already have. God has indeed given us a desire for the perfect spouse, but you should seek it in the one to whom you are married. Why discard this partner for someone else, only to discover that person's deep hidden flaws? some people with serial marriages go through the cycle of infatuation, disillusionment, rejection, and flight to someone else over and over. The only way that you're going to actually begin to see another person's glory self is to stick with him or her. And what he's saying is, all right, in your marriage relationship, there is potential for someone better But God's design is not for you to just try to find somebody else than the person that you're married to. We all have the potential to be better. We all have the potential to be more like Jesus. And God's design for marriage is to use that marriage relationship as the context for us to become more like Jesus. Like, when I was single, I thought I was, like, the most perfect person ever. Like... (laughs) Nobody was ever getting on me about how messy I am or like showing up late for dinner. I didn't get into arguments. And then I got married and I'm like, man, I've got some problems. We've got some problems. But I'm so thankful to my marriage to my wife because the marriage isn't what started the problems in my life. Marriage just revealed the problems that I already have. And marriage is that context for us together to pursue Jesus and to tackle those problems head on and to become more like Jesus in the long run. There's a pastor who says, marriage is not a hideout from singleness, but a haven for holiness. And maybe that's the point of marriage. The point of marriage isn't just to find some love like you would see in a fairy tale movie and stay with it as long as you feel that kind of love. Maybe the point of marriage is to become more like Jesus through that relationship. And so we're going to take a look at some verses in the New Testament that give instructions to husbands and wives about how to become more like Jesus through the marriage relationship. So Ephesians chapter 5, starting in verse 21, this is written by Paul, and he says, "...submit to one another out of reverence for Christ." So he starts things off talking to all Christians here. He's saying nobody's off the hook, whether you're young, whether you're old, male, female, doesn't even matter what your status is. As Christians, we are instructed to submit to one another. He's saying nobody is off the hook here. Now, this is important that he says this on the front end because of what he says next. Now, he gets more specific, and he says in verse 22, Wives, submit to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body of which he is the Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Now, I know that there is so much baggage surrounding this word submit. I think that this passage is one of the most misquoted, misrepresented passages in all the Bible. So let's talk about what this passage is not saying. This is not saying all women need to submit to all men. This is calling wives to submit to their husbands. And this doesn't mean that wives are more inferior than their husbands, because we have so many examples in the Bible of submission. Like Jesus himself submitted to God the Father. It doesn't make Jesus inferior to God the Father. It doesn't make him any less God. We see specifically in these verses that the role of the church is to submit to Jesus. But this is just the structure that God has set up for marriage, the roles for marriage. And all of this goes back to what we read about in Genesis, where the desire of the woman is to be to control her husband And then it says, but the husband will rule over her. This doesn't mean like there's a dictatorship going on in the family. But what God is saying is that he has given husbands the position of leadership within the family. And so wives are accountable to God for submitting to their husbands. But husbands are not off the hook here. As husbands, we are accountable to God for the way that we lead our family. And there's a big difference between poor and worldly leadership and the kind of leadership that I think God's word calls, calls us to live out in our lives. Here's just a contrast. I think poor leadership comes from a place of pride in our lives. I think a lot of why this passage is misused and misrepresented is because it goes back to poor leadership from husbands. Poor leadership doesn't have accountability or doesn't make decisions with the counsel of other people. Like if you're a poor leader, you're not allowing other people to speak into your life, to have a window into how you're really living and how you're really leading your family. Poor leadership expects other people to serve you out of selfishness. Poor leadership expects other people to change first. I'll contrast that to the example of Jesus. Like, if anybody has a position of power and authority, it was Jesus. And he gave that up when he left heaven to come to earth in the form of a man. Jesus is the perfect example of humility. Biblical leadership welcomes accountability, welcomes people to speak into your life and to help you make decisions for yourself and for leading your family. Biblical leadership is focused on others, and you're willing to change yourself first before you expect a change in somebody else. And this is what God calls husbands to as they lead their families. And he gets a little bit more into this. After all, no one ever hated their own body, but they feed and care for their body, just as Christ does the church, for we are all members of his body. So Jesus set for us the ultimate example of love. He gave up his life for the church, he died on the cross so that we could be saved from our sins and have the righteousness of God. And that's how husbands are to love their wives. But here's the thing. If I said, all right, husbands, how many of you would be willing to take a bullet for your wife? I think most of us here in this room would be like, oh yeah, all day long, I got this. But here's the harder thing. I think it's, honestly, I think it's easier to make a big one-time decision of love for our wives than it is to make the daily decision to love our wives in the little things. Like it's so much easier for me to say, I'd take a bullet for my wife than it is for me to wake up in the morning and think, how can I love my wife like Jesus loves the church and to serve her and love her, not just through my death, but through my life. And I, and I think it's through these roles within the family unit that we can point to the message I think this is the point of marriage. This is what Paul talks about in verse 31. It says, For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery, but I'm talking about Christ and the church. However, each one of you must also love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. And so Paul starts off giving an analogy of Jesus and the church in order to talk about marriage. And then he kind of wraps things up in saying, hey, actually marriage points to the relationship between Jesus and the church. And maybe the point of marriage is not to live for ourselves, to just pursue happiness, to have the fairy tale relationship like you see on TV. Maybe the point of marriage is to point to the gospel and point to the message of Jesus. But what about people who aren't married? Does that make them second-class Christians if they can't point to the gospel through a marriage relationship? Well, let's see what the Bible has to say about that in 1 Corinthians. In verse 32, Paul says, I would like you to be free from concern. An unmarried man... I am saying this for your own good, not to restrict you, but that you may live in a right way in undivided devotion to the Lord. So, I, Paul is even saying, like, if, he, if we were asking just for his opinion on the matter, he'd say, it's, it's better to be unmarried than it is to be married, Because when you're married, your attention is divided between the responsibilities that you have for your family, but also your calling to be devoted to the Lord. And um, first off, I just got to say, I love my wife so much. And I think that she is the best ministry partner that I could ever have. And I wouldn't trade a day of my life now with her for a day back in my single years. Last service, I said, but, and she's like, don't say but. <laughs> this sounds bad. What I'm, what I'm trying to say is that if you are single, you have an opportunity to serve God in a way that married people can't. I was telling Gabby just this last week, um, I could not do some of the things that I did early on in ministry if I was married like I was thinking back to when I first came to Tunkanic as the interim preacher, and at that point in my life, I had only preached a handful of times. I hadn't written many messages, and to get ready on a, for a Sunday morning and feel comfortable with public speaking, it took a lot of time during the week. And so, in that season of my life, my life was basically just ministry stuff and going to the gym. Like that was my only other outlet, and. I think sometimes it was hard for me to appreciate that season of life that God had me in right then and there, that that there was a purpose to that season of life that I was in, and that purpose wasn't to just try to get married as quick as I could. That purpose in my time of singleness wasn't just to live for the freedoms of singleness, but that purpose was to be fully devoted to God, and this is an opportunity, if you are single, that God has placed in your life to be fully devoted to Him. Now I spend my days going to coffee shops and like walking around thrift stores with my wife, which is great, <laughs> but it's that divided focus. Uh, I, was, I was at a wedding once where I heard the, the officiator say, If you are married, then. God can use your marriage to make you more like Jesus. He said, if you are single, then God can use your singleness for you to do more for his glory. And whether you become more like Jesus or you do more for Jesus, that's all going to depend on your intentionality with the season of life that you are in right now. And so my challenge for you this morning is to view your marital status, whether you're married or single, as a gift from God and make the most of that gift because there is a point and there is a purpose to it. As we wrap things up this morning, we're just gonna get into some super specific um, and practical application. So for husbands, my challenge for you is to read and follow the Bible. God has called you to lead your family. And if you're going to follow the example of Jesus and be a biblical leader in your family, And you have to be connected to God and following his ways for leadership. And then secondly, just try to find ways every single week to love your wife. Like I get it. Life is so busy and it's so easy to just get in the rhythm of like work and house projects and things around the house and sometimes get caught up in like survival mode instead of being intentional about finding some way to love your wife. And you know your wife far better than I do. But I would just encourage you, find some way that you can show her love this week, whether that's writing her a note, picking up flowers after work sometime, or scheduling a date, setting aside time for intentional conversation. Just find ways to love your wife like Jesus loves the church. For those of you who are wives, my encouragement for you is to read the Bible and follow what God has to say about your life and following the role that God gives through his word. And the other thing is to affirm your husband and, and the role that God has placed him in the family. And let's face it, as husbands, we don't get everything right. Sometimes we'll make the final call on a decision and we'll think afterwards like, yeah, hey, maybe that wasn't the right call. And there's so many faults that you could point out. But my encouragement to you is to become an expert in affirming your husband and not just in fault finding and things that maybe don't go as well. And so the question for both of you as husbands and wives is are you using your marriage to become more like Jesus as a couple? Because I really think that's what it's all about. And for those of you who are in a season of singleness right now, My challenge for you is to pursue God first and foremost, and it's crazy to think I was single less than a year ago, and I know that as soon as you get married, you lose credibility to relate to singles. I'll be like, guys, I get it, and you're like, no, you don't, because you're married now. You have the dream, but what I'm saying is it's so easy to just focus on finding that other person instead of just seeking God in that season of life and making him your first and foremost pursuit. And then my other challenge for you is to find ways to make a difference in the lives of other people. You have such an awesome opportunity in this season of life, and I would just encourage you to make the most of it. And so my question for you is, are you using your singleness to be fully devoted to God? Because I think that's what the point is. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Thank you so much for your love for us. Thank you that Jesus died for us on the cross. He's um, the ultimate example of selfless love. Thank you that he uh, purifies us and makes a way for us to be forgiven of our sins and to know you forever. God, I ask that we would... Um, just represent you in whatever season of life that we are in right now, whether we're married or single. Help us to not uh, misuse the gift that you've given us or not fully appreciate it. And, God, I pray for anybody who's in a marriage right now that's really going through some struggles and maybe they're thinking the grass is greener somewhere else or wondering if it's even worth it. God, I just ask that you would be the center of that marriage, that they would pursue you and see what you can do in their lives. And I ask that, um, that marriage would be the context for growth and becoming more like Jesus. I pray for everyone who is single here and just maybe feeling lonely sometimes, uh, wondering if you even care about them, wondering if you even have a bright future for them. God, help them to, to see what they have right now, um, that, that you are leading and directing the course of their life. You care about them, and you are there with them in this season, and I just ask that they would use it to its full potential all for your honor and glory. God, that's what it's all about. Please help us to just submit our lives to you and I just ask that you would do incredible things and I just pray all this in Jesus' name, amen.